Well, good morning, and man, I am excited to jump into this series. Been waiting to do this one for a while, and I think it's such a timely thing to talk about. Relationships today are a big deal. There's people out there that struggle with them. There's a lot of ideas about what a healthy relationship looks like. And if you notice, I'm really focusing on that word relationship, because the one thing I do want to say is this isn't necessarily a marriage series, although we will be talking about marriage quite a bit through it, because marriage and what we'll get into today, covenant relationship, is the primary form of relationship that knits itself throughout the entire story of Scripture. It is the relationship we are called to have with God. It is the relationship we are called to have with each other. But I think over time, the ideas that knit themselves around what a covenant relationship is have been lost. And so we want to dive into that a little bit today. And why are we talking about this? Well, first off, if you're single, for instance, and I know we're going to talk about that because people are like, well, gosh, we're going to talk about marriages. Is this even something I need to listen to? But I, I need to tell you, I've been doing this long enough now that I can say this with absolute confidence. The best time to build your skills and learn what a healthy marriage looks like biblically is before you are married, not after. <laughs> Don't do it the way I learned, okay? Okay. <laughs> Because all too often I've seen couples in the room that didn't start off with a not right understanding about what a covenant relationship looks like, what is biblical love, how do you manage expectations, all those sorts of things. And, and they're always like two trains headed for each other. I'm not sure when and where, but they're eventually just going to hit each other and then there's going to be a debris field. And I have walked through several debris fields out there. And so the best time to learn, if you're single, this is the right time to begin building those skills. It also helps you at this time to understand what it is you should be looking for in your future spouse. What are those characteristics I should be nurturing now, building upon, and looking for as we go along the way? And so the answer is if you're single, for instance, in this series, now is the time to pay attention and truly learn. If you are already in a very serious relationship with somebody, and maybe that's moving towards marriage, uh, maybe you're engaged already, whatever it may be, for certain now is the time to take the concepts that we're going to be teaching for the next few weeks and say, are we aligned with these things? Do we see them the same way as each other? Are there gaps that we need to work on before we say, I do? And so it's important for them. And if you're married already, then let's take a look and understand the principles from a biblical idea. Take a look at our marriage and say, what are some areas that maybe we need to work on that we need to build and develop in our relationships? So this is a relationship series. And what we find out is that understanding, again, what I say it, understanding what a biblical covenant relationship looks like is the primary foundation for understanding what all of our relationships should look like. Yes, there's some uniqueness to them, but that same heartfelt, genuine love that you may have for your spouse and should have for your spouse is the same kind of love you can have for a very dear friend. It's the same love we should have for certain family members, even though they will certainly test that one. But it builds on the foundation. So these ideas, as we discuss relationship, what healthy relationships look like, are applicable regardless in your life throughout the various relationships you may have. Because what we learn, and maybe this is just something I've noticed and you haven't, relationships can be hard. And especially in marriage, not every single day is going to be a sunny day, is it? 
marriage is going to have its seasons. It's going to have its ups and downs. There will be tensions we have to navigate. Now, I've heard this, and, and I'm, probably you haven't heard this, so this will be new, but sometimes in marriage, people say things they shouldn't. I know that's new. For instance, sometimes a husband might look at his wife and say, honey, you know, if you fold these clothes right as they come out of the dryer, instead of leaving them in the basket, they won't have wrinkles. I know, someone actually said that to their wife, and apparently it's bad. <laughs> Thank goodness it was not me recently. Uh, <laughs> It's a good way to get the basket handed right back to you, isn't it? You fold them. And that's what happened. This idea that a marriage is meant to be a covenant, not just a contract, might be a new idea for you. And we're going to explore that in depth today because this is the foundation we'll be building on as we continue out through this series. So this is an important one to grasp. It was new for me about 12 to 13 years ago, which is unusual because, you know what, I, as I got to thinking about it, I don't recall ever talking about it in school, and it wasn't something that I ever really remember talking about growing up, and I grew up in a, in a very strong Christian home. It just wasn't something I was familiar with, and I got faced with it when two of my good friends, they were also part of my ministry at the church that I was pastoring at, came to us or came to me and said, Jason, we would like to have a strong focus uh, in our marriage on a covenant relationship, and we would like to have a covenant ceremony. And I, I realized at the time I, I didn't 100% understand what they were saying, and maybe you don't either, so we're going to dive into that a little bit today. Both of them, in this case, had had failed marriages before. They, they, this was a second marriage for them. And they both readily admitted, listen, I, we went into the first one. We did not put God at the center of our marriage. That's not the place we were at at the time. But we recognize as Christians now and being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we truly want to step into this time a covenant relationship with each other. And so this sent me on a journey for several months of really researching, like, what is covenants? And we've talked about those several times now. What, what is a covenant ceremony? What is a covenant relationship? What is this idea behind that? And as we get started today, I want to show you and tell you what a covenant ceremony looks like first. We'll start there. And I want you to be able to, if you're, like, if you're thinking of getting married here sometime soon, this hopefully will give you some really good ideas for your ceremony, uh, some things maybe you hadn't thought about yet. And if you're married all right, be looking at this list and asking yourself, which ones did we do, which ones we didn't, because maybe we need to backtrack a little bit. So let's talk about what a biblical ceremony looks like, understanding, by the way, these are ancient, this is not a new thing, these things go back to like 3000 BC and beyond, so these are ancient ideas that knit themselves throughout the Bible, but to do a covenant ceremony properly, first you take an animal and you cut it in half, you then place it on the ground, the two partners at that time would exchange outer cloaks this symbolizing taking on the new life of this other person together. This one's not too unusual, but sometimes one or both of the parties then would take on a new name as well, symbolizing the same thing. This is my new identity. 
The two parties then would exchange weapons with each other. This symbolizes that I will be there and protect you no matter what. Then they would exchange belts, and this symbolizes that we are sharing in our wealth and our resources together. We are now all together as one in that. And then the parties would do something that you've probably seen on TV sometime before. They would cut their hand or they would cut their arm, and then they would place their hands together. And what this was was our blood now commingles with your blood together, or they'll do that with their arms. It does not end there. They then take dirt or dust or something and they rub that into the wound, intentionally creating a scar so that that scar will be a forever reminder to you of the covenant that you made towards each other. Not unusual, they might exchange a ring, put up a pillar or plant a tree, again, something to remind them of the covenant. Then the two parties would walk between the two pieces of flesh after that, they pick them up, they put them on the altar to burn them, cook them, and then they eat them for a festival. Now, if you did not do any of these things in your marriage, you did it wrong. <laughs> we need to go back. We need to make this right. So if somebody could go grab an animal and a knife, let's get started. And obviously, we're not going to do that for a couple different reasons. Number one, it's disgusting and gross. Uh, number two, yes, I probably will get a phone call from my local animal activist organization on that one, I'm guessing. But the point being this, obviously, covenant ceremonies and how we do them have changed over thousands of years. But what hasn't changed are the principles. The principles behind a covenant relationship are important, and that's what I want to look at today. And it's no surprise, if you've been around me long enough, I, I've talked about this before, when a, a couple comes to me and they say, Pastor, we'd like to get married, oftentimes the first question I will ask them is, well, why did you come to me? And I'll get different answers, but one of the primary answers I'll get from sometimes, and it's a good answer, it's not wrong with it, but for instance, the, the future wife will say, you know what, I have dreamed since I was a little girl about getting married in a church and getting married by a pastor, and that's just how it is, and, and I think that's great. What I don't ever hear, and I've yet to have a couple say to me, so if you're thinking of coming to me soon, write this down, uh, so you know, pastor, we're coming to you because we want to make a covenant before God. See, in America, this is important for us to understand, we are largely a contract-based company, or not company, but country. We think in terms of contracts, and those contracts are made to help people live up to their end of a bargain. It's a legal agreement to outline how to exchange goods and services without any relational requirements whatsoever in that. I do not have a personal relationship with my car company, okay? Contracts outline what's in it for me and what's in it for you. And there's primarily three points to all contracts that are important for us to understand. The first thing you typically see in most contracts is that it has a time limit. In other words, the contract will specify a beginning, it will specify an ending so that there's clarity towards that. It is this long. Contracts then have clauses 
with them. I call them if-then statements. In other words, if you do this, then this occurs. And quite in the same way, if you don't do this, then this occurs. And so there are clauses, there are if-then statements built into it, and then all contracts typically in some form or fashion have a way of signing. There are signatures attached to that contract to verify the terms of it. And I want to stop for a minute and just go ahead and clarify something. Is marriage a contract? And the answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Hang with me for a second. When you get married by a pastor, two things are happening. This is, by the way, well, I'll ask them, when I ask them that question, why, not, why do you want to get married by me? It'll, I'll often follow it up because the reality is this. At any time, you can march down to the justice of the peace or you could go find a ship captain somewhere out in the water and you can get married. What's the difference about getting married, at least at Radiant Church, with a pastor? And the answer is, if I marry someone, two things are going on. Number one, just like you can go down to the justice of the peace, yes, there is a portion of your marriage that you are writing a contract with the state of Iowa. You 100% are. And so as a pastor, as we sign that license with them, that's not a covenant. That's your contract with the state. You want to undo that one later, as we'll talk about, you'll need lawyers for that one. That is borrowed authority, by the way, not a right for pastors. The state allows us to do that. That can be taken from us at any time, by the way. And in Europe, it has been. When you come to the pastors at Radiant Church and you want to be married, the piece we're most interested in, and the one we will focus on, is the second one. You are making a covenant with God and with your friends and with each other. And covenants and contracts, as we're going to discover, are not the same thing. If you have your worship guide, there's going to be places to take notes today. And this one, um, I didn't realize needed to be a fill-in until yesterday as I was reviewing my sermon. So these you'll have to write out if you're interested in learning them. But to understand the difference as we begin today, a covenant is for personal relationships like marriage. Contracts are for professional relationships. We'll just start from there, okay? And I'm going to keep things really simple today because this is week one and we're just going to be building our case as we go today. What is a covenant marriage? But just so we know right from the start, covenants are for personal relationships. Contracts are for professional relationships like business Legally, marriage is a contract that outlines certain rights and responsibilities between both parties. In a legal marriage, if one party doesn't live up to the contract, then legal actions force the other parties to act and to end it with an equitable settlement. That is fancy language for divorce. If you don't meet your end of the bargain, I will end and terminate this contract. So just so we're clear, is marriage a contract? Yes. You end up, if you do in Iowa, you end up making a contract with the state of Iowa. 
What I'm saying today is when you come to a pastor, we do not stop there. And the difference between coming to me and going down to the justice of the peace will be this. I am expecting you to make a covenant before God. That's the uniqueness and what should be for all churches. I say that firmly. The uniqueness of coming to a pastor to be married. Therefore, yes, marriage is a contract, but what we have to understand is Christian marriage is meant to be way, way, way more. It's a covenant. And the reality is this, we could spend all day, it took me months to research it, to talk about covenants and what the difference is, but today I just want to look at some of the highlights and some of the important features of them that distinguish the difference between the two. And my hopes is that this allows you to go back and speak with your uh, spouse or maybe your future spouse or just to reflect upon it yourself as you are out there looking for one. How, does this define our relationship? Do these two things match up? So let's look at that. Let's look at the difference between a contract and a covenant. The first one is this on a contract that we run across. Go to the next slide if you could on that. A contract is defined by obligations. In other words, I have to do these things in a contract. In a covenant, it's rooted in devotion, which means I want to. And there's a big difference in the relationship when you have a I have to attitude and I want to attitude. Which one defines your marriage? The next one is this. A contract defines expectations. In other words, what do I get in this? I'll put it another way. What's in it for me? Right? And this one might surprise you. A covenant is defined by worship. What can I give? It's important to understand, again, we talk about this a lot, but getting this word worships right, it's not singing, okay? It can be. I mean, you can worship in singing, but in and of itself, singing is not worship. Worship is taken from two primary Greek words. One means to bow down on your face. The other one means to serve. Because come to find out that which you serve is what you worship, by the way. That's why the Bible says you cannot have two masters. And so at the core of a covenant relationship, a genuine covenant relationship, is a heart of worship. What can I give? The next distinguishing part of a contract relationship is this. It's based on punishment. In other words, there are repercussions. Remember those if-then statements? If you don't do these things, then this is what's going to happen. And I'm talking about a mindset here because forgiveness says we will work through this. However, let me put a caveat on this one and this one only. Is it always possible to work through it? No, it's not. What I'm talking about here, though, is a posture. Which do you go to first? Do you become punitive or do you seek forgiveness? In that forgiveness, we're hoping and praying for reconciliation. 
But reconciliation requires that both parties come to the table. And there are times when both parties don't always come to the table. And so it's not always possible. But in your marriage, which one do you go to first? Do you seek to punish first or do you seek to forgive first? The next one. In a contract relationship, we seek after happiness. Not the happiest is a bad thing. We've talked about that before. But when it becomes the goal, the central thing, that's when it becomes a problem. Because what happens when we only seek happiness is love becomes a feeling. We live in a culture that wants to live by feelings. But feelings can betray you. So in a contract, we seek happiness and love is a feeling. But in a covenant, we seek holiness. We submit to God. Notice it doesn't say, I submit to God. We submit. The two become one. And holiness means set apart for God's purposes. And so let me ask you, as you view marriage, your marriage or your future marriage, do you see that your marriage exists to live set apart from the world as a living example of God's love to the lost? Is your marriage set apart for God? Next part. A contract is focused on self. It goes with what, what do I get, but it says that in this case in the relationship, it says you exist for me. Whereas a covenant is focused on others. I give myself to you. The next one. A contract is built on negotiation. We'll negotiate the rules, the restrictions, the guidelines, all of those things. Where a covenant is based upon surrender, mutual sacrifice, which we're going to talk about quite a bit in this series. A contract, next one if you could, is conditional. Again, we've talked about this. As long as, in other words, as long as this happens, as long as I get this, as long as all these things come together, we've got a relationship. A covenant says it's permanent, no matter what. Even if things don't fall together, even if things don't happen quite like I thought they were going to, even if this is a difficult season we're walking through, my mindset will be, we're going to work through it, and we're not going to give up. We're going to make it happen. Contract says it's built on suspicion. That's why we write them to begin with. Like, I need to outline what happens if things don't happen, right? I mean, so that's the whole idea of it. So naturally built into it is this unhealthy suspicion when we enter into a contract relationship. But a covenant is built on vulnerability, I trust you. And what we're going to learn is this. That picking that word vulnerability, I chose it for a reason. And the reason is this. What we're going to learn about covenant relationships is you cannot have a genuine relationship of freedom and biblical love without vulnerability. You cannot. You have to be absolutely vulnerable. But I also understand there's a bad side to that. Because to be vulnerable means that you set yourself up to be hurt. And a lot of us struggle with vulnerability because we've been hurt before. 
but we just have to have it in our mind and our understanding that if you truly want a covenant, biblical, loving relationship as God designed them to be, it will require vulnerability. And yeah, you might get hurt. The last one is that a contract is transactional or transactional. In other words, if all these things happen, then we've got a deal. We're going to write up the contract. Although we don't usually write it up, we just kind of put it in our head. You know what I mean? A covenant, on the other hand, is relational. We're going to knit our hearts together in this deal. The two become one. To summarize all of this then, at the core, a contract is performance-based and a covenant is relationship-based. And don't you know then, as I stated earlier, a covenant relationship is how God designed healthy relationships to work throughout the entire Bible. That's why we talked about covenants at Christmas time and the covenants leading up to Jesus Christ. This has been the symbol throughout Scripture of what healthy, godly relationships look like. This is also, for instance, what salvation is supposed to look like. This is why Jesus said, a new covenant I give to you. It is not a contract. You do not have a contract with God. Because if you did, it would be based upon your performance. And I don't know all of you very well, but I'm guessing you're in trouble if that's the case. It is if it's the case for me. My salvation is not based upon my ability to perform, to prove to God that I'm somehow worthy. There are not any works that I can accomplish in my life that will make me holy. I am only holy because God is holy and he sent his son who was holy to die on a cross so that I may stand boldly before the king. It is only by grace through faith. And see the difference. The difference is tied completely to salvation. Your salvation is not dependent upon your works. It is based on a relationship. We serve a God who wants to have a deep personal relationship with you. And has made covenants so that you can come to him. As a result, our marriages should be living, breathing examples of God's salvation. Full of grace, mercy, kindness, and love. Not earning. Not favor. Not works. It is by grace through faith that you are saved. And nothing else. And so what we learned then is that salvation is a picture of what our loving marriage is supposed to look like. The same things apply to the two. Our covenant is an unconditional promise. We talked about that at Christmas. Covenants are promises that are based upon steadfast love. And hear me on this. That foundation, you want to know what the secret sauce is behind all of this. And we're going to talk about this a bunch. All of this is rooted in three key words. Mutual, voluntary, submission. 
That is the secret sauce to your marriage, and we're going to be hitting that more and more as the weeks come. You cannot have a covenant relationship without it. And mutual voluntary submission is precisely the love Christ demonstrated to us on the cross. Gary Thomas had this to say in his book, Sacred Marriage, and I I thought this was so great as we set up the series. He says, what if your relationship isn't as much about you and your spouse as it is about you and God? We have to stop asking of marriage what God never designed to give, perfect happiness, conflict-free living, and idolatrous obsession. Instead, we can appreciate that God designed marriage to provide partnership, spiritual intimacy, and the ability to pursue God together. And so please understand this. If you wish to have a genuine covenant relationship, at its core, it is inviting God into the relationship. Often we'll quote this verse at at weddings. You've probably heard it before. Ecclesiastes 4 says, A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I have tried to braid hair before. I am awful at it. I mean, just absolutely terrible. I can't, can't do it. But I've done it enough to tell you something I've learned. If you try to braid someone's hair with just two pieces, it doesn't hold. There's something magical about bringing that third piece into the braid that locks the other two pieces together and makes it hold. Jesus Christ is that third piece, that third strand you bring into your marriage to hold it firmly in the good times and the bad. He is that third strand that is not quickly broken. You have to have Jesus at the center of your marriage. And so I get to one last point that is so important for you to understand here. You say, I want a covenant marriage. This looks good and so forth. But you have to grasp this. It's so important. In order to have a covenant marriage, both parties have to be believers. That's why the Bible talks about being unequally yoked. You cannot have a covenant marriage where one party is a believer and one party is not. It can't happen. You cannot enter into a covenant with a God you don't believe in. And so I'm just going to end there because we got several weeks to carve out some more ground in all of this. But for some of you out there, either you're thinking of getting married, but for especially those who are married right now, Was your marriage based upon a contract or built on a covenant? Wrestle with that this week. Talk it over together. Go on a date night together and and discuss it. Because I think it's an important question and everything from here is going to build upon that.